And what I'm really clear about is that if the expectations about where we are now and where we want to go to are mapped out and shared and co-created with a team of people, there's buy-in. So when we began with the virtual team, I spent probably in total a month physically in situ with that team of eight or nine people and we built the culture of the business. And every one of those individuals, bar two or three, is still with us. So when we put that foundation under the business and we set our goals for the next couple of years, the, the next question that we asked ourselves was, well, what are the behaviors for us that are going to get us to that goal? How are we going to treat each other? What is it that we're going to do to ensure that we nurture these relationships? Now sit back and relax while we take a deep dive and talk with inspiring business owners just like you. Here's your host, Stephen Sandor. Welcome to the Inspiring Business Podcast, where we hope to inspire you as the business owner and help you to focus on what you do best so you can delegate the rest. I believe the business has greater value when the owner is not a part of the valuation. Get your business ready for sale, but don't sell it, and that way you can retire into your business and do what you love doing. My guest today is Greg Smith, based in Australia, and is the head of the global business Sent Handwritten. Send Handwritten helps businesses to stand out from the digital noisy crowd by creating a beautifully designed card that has a personalized handwritten message and is posted using Regal Mail in a wax sealed envelope. The whole concept is designed to secure existing clients and gain the attention of new decision makers. You say humanize the exception. Greg, welcome to the Inspiring Business Podcast. G'day, Steve. Thank you. Now, full disclosure, I'm a client of yours, and we know each other personally because I bore the bejesus out of you every Thursday morning with my <laughs> comments. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, just to the listener, just understand that if the conversation is very familiar, that is the reason why. You and Andy, your business partner, started Send Handwritten in 2008, and you had some experiences that caused you to rethink how you might change the way that you support your clients or um, provide services, provide your services. And that's obviously paying off with the success of your business to date. And we all know that plans need agility and uh, to adapt um, to what's in front of us. And obviously over the last 18 months, we've all had to do that. So perhaps we could start with what you know now that you didn't know 12 months ago. And how has that framed your decision-making processes going forward? Uh, yeah. And so just a very minor correction, Steve, 2018 was when we kicked this off. I think you said 2008. And so we haven't been at this for 13 or 14 years. We've been at it for three or four. <laughs> <laughs> so all, all good. Um, yes, and I'm so pleased you used the word agility and not the other word start with P because that'll cost you a miles bar if you use that word. What we know now that we didn't know 12 or 18 months ago is that the world of digital, particularly in the marketing space, is all pervasive. If you're not one way or another online, 
you're you somewhat don't exist if you don't have a website you don't have a, a business is how i read the marketplace what we did uh, back in 2018-19 is that we got it very clear in our minds that piled deep on most street corners on our planet are digital marketers. So in other words, there's a lot of digital marketing going on. In 2019, there was $100 billion spent on digital marketing. In 2020, there was $250 billion or so, and they're estimating over half a trillion dollars being spent on digital marketing 2021. If that's true, that exponential growth for mere mortals in business means that we are increasingly operating in a noisy marketplace where we get deleted. We cannot compete as mere mortals with the companies that have more money than God. So the big end of town can spend endless amounts of money Question is, for smaller businesses, how do we get the attention of our prospect and our existing clientele and humanize the communication? So I don't know about you, but I haven't yet seen a laptop order an electrician or uh, an automated process order a hamburger or in any way have I experienced the buying decision being made by um, AI. So humans make buying decisions. So our lesson in the last 18 months really is whether you're going to leverage the digital space or whether you're going to leverage royal or regal or uh, tactile mail that engages and excites and expresses a bunch of the human emotions that we want to express show up in a way that nobody else is. So we've migrated from just what goes out in the mail and hilariously in some ways or ironically, we now have this deep suite of digital services, but nobody else on the planet is doing what we're doing. That's your product. Right? So that, that you, what you've seen is you've, you've seen the noise in the marketplace and I agree with you. You know, I'm a Neanderthal when it comes to social media or at least my view is that social media is not a communication platform, as you quite rightly point out. It's an advertising platform, and it used to be that you um, that you would connect with somebody, and they would like your page or friend you. Um, and and now it's gone well way beyond that. Now we're into the world of uh, you know psychometrics and dopamine dumps and the whole bunch of whole bunch of it. So what you've been able to do is, as a business owner, you've been able to identify a particular niche in the marketplace, and that has enabled you to stand out from the crowd. You know, you're a unicorn amongst the digital marketing world, and so people are attracted to that. But from your running your business, you know, what are the challenges that you've had to face in in internally with your business, as opposed to the, your clients' um, challenges that they have? So what, what are the changes that you've had to make? Or is the product that you've created, is that the change? Yes, yeah, so part of the change or the agility was to take our physical assets and turn them digital to a point where we've now got Morgan Freeman on our team. And I ain't saying any more about that because that's a big character game chase one day for anybody that's interested. What, what we've discovered is that um, we are a global company. 
And that's not how I initially saw us. And we're a global company because we can use our digital assets to grab the attention of those in the UK, the US, Canada, New Zealand, wherever it is that we decide to operate. So the challenge has been to solidify and keep my existing team in place, excited, engaged, in a context where <laughs> grabbing hold of the truth on our planet at the moment, to me, feels like grabbing a cake of soap in the shower. Just as you grab hold of it, it's gone and it's over your shoulder. And what you previously thought was solid and real and genuine is now gone. It's still there, but it's disappeared out of sight. And, and I, as a business owner, I keep looking for the cake of soap, the truth, in terms of what really is important, what really cuts through. And our collective answer to that internally has been, you know what? The only thing that I'm sure about is that when I go for a walk on a Thursday morning uh, with Steve Sandor and we communicate one-on-one, -on -one, human to human, that's real. I can grab hold of that. And I can engage with that experience and that conversation. And I know that those two men are making their way through this current poop fight in their own way, but with the support of each other. So business is anchored then, not just the relationship, say, that you and I have, but business is anchored in healthy, genuine, real human relationships. And, and healthy is the uh, the operative word. You can have relationships and there's a bunch of them that are not healthy. But a healthy human relationship is the key. Operationally, our challenge, and um, this is maybe too much detail, but operationally, our challenge is to keep the balance between sales and marketing and what we <laughs> we call it eating our own dog food. So using our own tools and resources to market what we do and having the capacity to deliver, particularly from a creative point of view. No two campaigns that we have run for a client yet have looked the same. So we've actually got a little bottleneck in our business where our creative team is a genius of one and a half at the moment. So operationally, we're fine. We can produce as much mail, we can print as much, we can write as much, we can deliver as much around the world. It's the creative piece that is a barrier. And it's a constant iteration of solutions to overcoming that barrier. Yeah, and, and sales and marketing and operations always have a, a tension mm. because there needs to be a balance there. The operational people, you know, the marketing people and salespeople go out and, and create good problems and then the operational people could say, can you please slap down <laughs> because we haven't even got the last idea um, on the ground. So it sounds like the operational side of your business, well, I know that the operational side of your business is very well oiled. So there's two, I, I guess, two strings or, or threads that I'd like to investigate here with you. The first one is how did you create that environment where there is so much, and I'll call it trust inside your operational area or within the whole organization because you have a virtual team. Uh, I think you were virtual before there was a requirement to go virtual. So, you know, there's a, a lot of businesses would be wondering how 
do I do that? How do I manage a, a virtual uh, group? And then the the other side is the tension on you as an individual to extract yourself from the day-to-day operations of the business so that you can be, you know, the head of the organization as opposed to the individual. Answers on, on those two areas? Yeah. So I'm going to blow my own trumpet here. Please. And it's not designed, I'm, I'm not blowing my own trumpet from an ego point of view. I'm blowing my own trumpet because I was given a gift. And the gift that I was given as a human being that I, for whatever bunch of reasons, I know how to build a, a healthy workspace and a healthy bunch of human um, relationships. So we have an operational team here in Australia and we've got an operational team in the Philippines. Um, our production team are in the Philippines and I've got satellite people um, all around the world, UK, LA, Canada, etc. And what I'm really clear about is that if the expectations about where we are now and where we want to go to are mapped out and shared and co-created with a team of people, there's buy-in. So when we began with the virtual team, I spent probably in total a month physically in situ with that team of eight or nine people, and we built the culture of the business and every one of those individuals bar two or three are still with us so when we put that foundation under the business and we set our goals for the next couple of years the the next question that we asked ourselves was well what are the behaviors for us that are going to get us to that goal how are we going to treat each other what is it that we're going to do to ensure that we nurture these relationships? So it's in writing. I don't have it here with me at the moment, but there's a, a giant uh, handwritten card, believe it or not, uh, that sits on a shelf with our offshore team, and we call it our working agreement. And in the working agreement are a very, very clear list of behaviours that we have agreed to and that we keep recommitting to. The Aussie team have uh, bought into that, but we, we're bought into a set of behaviours. So if somebody behaves in a way that is the antithesis of that, we are collectively permitted to call that behaviour and say, oi, just a minute, that sounded, for example, disrespectful. Do we want to take the word respect out of our working agreement or would we like to change our behaviour and move forward? doesn't happen very often but it does people get hot under the collar and and shit goes down and things happen but rather than have to point the finger at an individual we point the finger at the working agreement which is in writing with everybody's signature and say "Hmm, did you just break the agreement and what do we want to collectively do about it what happens is that the behavior, the misbehavior gets sorted before it comes anywhere near me as a general rule and I hear about it later. So the team own the working agreement. So you've taken a very objective approach to what could be a very subjective and emotional outcome if in, a, in an agreement. Yep. Yep. 
So let me let me go back 20 years. And this will be short. I don't want to hog a whole bunch of time sharing this story. I owned a company called Interaction Experiential Learning. And, and it was a, an expedition company for young adults. When 200 boys, year 10 boys, would turn up on a Monday morning and weren't going to go home for 10 days, we'd break them up into groups of about 20. And the first question was, why are we here and where are we going? And we get an answer to that in that group of 20 with one of my instructors. The next piece was, okay, how are we going to treat each other? And the answer to that question went in black texture onto a white cap. And that white cap needed to be visible with that group of boys or girls for the duration of the expedition, often 10 days. So what that meant was when some kid, buffhead boy, told me as the instructor to F off, that was gold for me, absolute gold, because all I did was say, oh, I just heard something that sounds um, like it should be taken, something should be taken off the hat. We would stop, we would sit down, and we would have a conversation. And the conversation always was, here's what I just heard, what do we want to do? Not once in 25 years did the bullfed boy that told me to F off say, I think we should take the word respect or tolerance or whatever off the hat, not one. So it's the same for me in this work environment that I now have the privilege of hosting and nurturing in order to get the result that I'm looking for for our client. None of my team have ever told me to F off, I can tell you that. <laughs> right, but I don't have to get upset about it. I, I draw the team together and say, oh, okay, something's upset, you know. Johnny, what are we going to do about this? For, for whatever reason, Steve, for me, that mechanism works because there's actual conversational and psychological buy-in to a set of behaviour. Yeah, and I think, I think you mentioned earlier, it, so you're not talking about the individual, you're talking about the collective agreement and the behaviour. And, and does that person want to have a different opinion? of that, which obviously they have the opportunity to do that, or whether whether they would then reconsider that action or behaviour in the context of the culture that we want to uh, operate within. I've done something similar, but I've never actually written it down as a contract, and I like that concept of, um, you know, you get everybody buying in to the to, to, to it, um, but actually having it as a written contract where people... So I've probably heard it before, but um, uh, I'm old, and so I'm. I'm... <laughs> yeah, I think the core title, or the, the the title, or the core part, of it's of course it's done diagrammatically to this um, vision I have of this giant card that we've got. But I think that the core piece says, "I am most productive and happy at work when," and we've built the behaviours around that a lead-in statement like that. It turns out that. At least one of my team members have left the organization because she couldn't live up to that set of behaviors. And she self-selected out. In the finish, she said, you know, I can't stand you lot. I'm gone. But she got caught hiding mistakes. One of my seniors called her on that and she said she denied it until we produced the evidence. And we said, you've got a choice. I'm sure on that working agreement is the word honesty in one format or another. And she couldn't do it. 
there was a dishonest streak in her and I'm sure it was part of her survival mechanism. But she self selected out. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, people don't hang around with people that they can't align with. The other part of that question was you as an as an individual, what what are the challenges that you're facing? What do you need? What what's the contract that you need to have with yourself um over the next twelve, eighteen months to um to achieve what you want to achieve or um yeah, I, I think what I've come to realize is that given what it is that we're up to, the margins are not huge. The margins are pretty skinny. So in order for Greg as a human being to survive and thrive and really love what we're up to, and it's not that I don't love it, it's freaking hard work, <laughs> what I need to do is to recalibrate a whole bunch of uh, processes and probably pricing mechanisms so that the business can easily afford to engage the right sort of professionals around us. And uh, right at the moment, I'm at, at, at a tipping point. I am not the only salesman in the business, but pretty much I, I run the sales process. So we don't have the cash to pay somebody 80 or 100 grand a year in a car and a laptop and a phone, um, which is the traditional model of, you know, a BDM or a, a salesperson. So the challenge at the moment is to extricate me from the sales process and engage a, a, an enthusiast who's got the right skill set, who wants to help us take this business to the next level. We're through the startup phase. We've proved, proven this model beyond doubt. The next step is, is to ramp up sales. Production is fine. We can scale that a hundred times without a problem. So as we, as I extricate myself from the sales process so I can get in the helicopter and see the strategy and take the business forward, production is fine. Then we've got to solve the creative problem. Get over that creative barrier. And that's a typical challenge of businesses at your stage, you know, where they, they've gone beyond the freelance type business and they're now at that enterprise area. So emotionally, how does that make you feel being able, you know, letting go of, essentially letting go of control to a degree? Oh, I'm really excited to be able to let go of control because it, when I've done that in the past, unexpected, worthwhile, valuable things happen. So when I get out of the way, I know all sorts of things are possible that I can't currently see. My challenge is financial. There's a, a hump to get over, an investment to be made in the next step. The question for me as the CEO is at what point, you know, time-wise, at what time point is the right time to make that investment? And do I borrow the money or do I take it out of my mortgage or do I, you know, hit Steve Sandor up for some cash or, you know, what what's the mechanism to go from this side of that bump or hump to the other side? The timing of that for me is crucial. And one of the reasons that this has been delayed, that decision has been delayed, is because of the sh the constantly shifting sands in our current economic environment. 
It's the soap over the shoulder situation when you think, okay, now's the time to make the decision. You grab the decision and Gladys or one of the others get on the blower and they say, no, we're shut down again. And the economic knock-on effect, the psychological knock-on effect, the energetic knock-on effect of that is not fathomable. It's not workoutable. It's Mm. it's constantly moving. So part of, I I guess, you know, being completely transparent, I'm uh, my Achilles heel, if you like, is to look after whatever wealth we've managed to create as a family and a business over the last 30 years of being in business and not pee that up against the wall by making a wrong decision at a wrong time in a marketplace that is very fluid. Mm. And the decision-making process that you go to get to that point, because, again, I, I, I suspect that the majority of businesses are at that at that point. But so the majority of businesses who are at that startup or just post startup phase, I mean, cash is always king. The businesses that are, I guess, more mature or cash is not necessarily the issue, but market share might be the, might be the problem. The same problem occurs because of this, the fluidity of the circumstances that are around it. So how do you approach that decision-making process so that you've got confidence in you know, when you do make the decision that it's percentage-wise the you know the best possible decision that you could make at the time? Yeah. Look, I I think um, in other businesses that I have run, to be completely honest, it's been intuitive. Read the tea leaves, you know, get your crystal ball back from being out for service, put it on the desk, gaze into the crystal ball and do your damn best with the people that are closest to you. And when I say closest to you, my internal teams, in order to make the best possible decision with the information that we have in that particular moment, with the crystal ball operating and intuition engaged. I think as a more mature business person, what a load of fooey. That's part of it. But the objectivity that comes from engaging with those that don't, uh, that are not emotionally engaged with the outcome is crucial. And of course, you and I have been having lots of conversations about, you know, coaching models and coaching people and your services and what you're up to and, and all that you could bring to the send hand written table. So despite my ego, Tiger Woods, when he was playing, still had a coach. So if it's sort of good enough for Tiger Woods or, you know, Djokovic or Federer or whoever, I mean, I watched Federer at training one day and I think there were three other people on the court. I'm sure one of, one would have been a nutritionist, one would have been a physical coach and one was the, the coach that was teaching him, or not teaching him, but what's the word? Finessing how it was that he was hitting a ball. And then he had a hitting partner. So a whole team of people around one individual is, I think, what's required. For small business, smaller businesses, the trick is affording that team of people or that team of advisors that team of coaches or the coach to keep you accountable. And that's the conundrum that we're in at the moment. Yeah. You know, there's a function of, of success in that, you know, the affordability. 
that you know you you know Federer can have eight people or whatever it is. There's probably a team of you know twenty or thirty um, behind him because of the economic engine. The principle is the same though, and so you know of of being able to be vulnerable. I use the word vulnerability because you use the word, you know, lack of ego. If if it's good enough for Tiger Wood, it's good good enough for me. But really, that is stepping aside and saying I don't have all the answers, and I'm happy to not know all of that and find better people around me than and find people that are better than me and surround myself with them. Yeah, I, I think there's good advice in trading up. Greg, thanks so much for that. Um, trading up, I think that's a, that's a great place to finish the, the conversation. I'd really do appreciate and thank you very much for being my guest on the Inspiring Business podcast. The final question I have, and I ask this of all of my clients, is what are you curious about? Frogs. I and, love frogs. And <laughs> They're, they're disappearing. We're killing off well, all the frogs. Well, the interesting thing was, it was only a fortnight ago, I walked into the backyard here in the northern rivers of New South Wales and there was a green tree frog, and I love green tree frogs, and he was sitting still in the middle of the day in the sun. And green tree frogs don't do that. They hide in the water or under the leaves or wherever. And so as ridiculous as it sounds, he pulled at my heartstrings and I nurtured the poor little bugger for 48 hours and called everybody on the planet, the Australian Museum and the froggy people and the, everybody that I could lay my hands on, and nobody was able to help me because there is a disease here in Australia at the moment that's killing our frogs. I've always had this dream of having a special place for frogs because when I was a kid, I visited some friend of my dad's and he had a fridge full of frogs and I remember bright red ones I remember frogs with bright red eyes I remember frogs of all different sizes shapes and colors and it was really exciting as a 10 12 year old to see this amazing enthusiasm that this bloke had for frogs so the the bigger picture for me um, and and it's not I'm serious I love frogs I'd love to have a frogarium um, in in the backyard the bigger thing that I'm curious about, though, is for our planet, given that frogs are at the moment actually under threat, the, the bigger question for me is how can we as human beings do more with less so that the planet actually works for 100% of us 100% of the time with no ecological event? How do we do that? And I don't have the answer to those questions, and I know you don't have the answer to those questions, but collectively, we've got to figure out how we leave the planet better for us having been here, whether that's physiologically, so the environment, or whether that's relationally, or whether that's spiritually, or however it is, how can I leave the planet better for me having been here? That's actually what underpins what Sendhan Written is up to. And dear listener, that's why I love asking that question because you get to the heart of the individual and that is definitely the caring Greg Smith is the, is the Greg Smith that I have the privilege of walking with usually every Thursday morning. So Greg, once again, thanks very much for being my guest on the inspiring business podcast. It's always a pleasure. 
My pleasure too, Steve. I'll uh, see you tomorrow morning. As I was listening back to the recording of Greg and my conversation, I started to think about the last 12, 18 months and the relationships that I've been fortunate enough to build. Um, And at the core of Greg's message, I think, in terms of his product and who he is, it's very much around building relationships, human-to-human connections. So I thought I'd just take this opportunity to, I guess, reflect back on the last 18 months for me and the people who have supported me as I go about building my business, as I go about developing this podcast and trying to add value back to you, the listener. Hopefully you you understand the intention of what it is that we as a community are trying to do for you. It all started with Karen Lindsay. I was very fortunate to meet her. I reached out to her on LinkedIn as I was building, trying to build relationships with people. And she introduced me to a fantastic community called the Connect Collaborative, where in fact it was I met um, Greg and also Alistair McDonald, who's also been a guest on here, and a number of other people who have been my guests on this particular podcast. It goes beyond just a relationship with people. It is honest communication. It is being able to collaborate with no expectation of anything in return. And I think that's what we're missing in our society today. There is always this reach out for something. There has to be something in it for me. I'm going to send you something, but really what I want to do is I want to hook you in and bring you into the into my web and so I can deliver something rather than it just being a really authentic here here's my genius you take it one of the projects that I'm working on is a platform where business owners can go into a environment where there is no sales pitches it is truly an open source of ideas And as this project evolves, I'll let you know about it. I'm hoping that it fills a void that is currently being overrun by the digital world that Greg spoke of. It's taking away from the ability of people to be able to communicate genuinely at a one-to-one, human-to-human relationship. So, watch this space. Normally, I would at the end of here talk about what I do and the scale to success but if you've been listening to this podcast you know that what I do and if you'd like to reach out to me you know where to reach out so I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to the beautiful messages that are coming through from my guests and I hope that I'm able to continue that into the future for you My name's Stephen Sandor. There's plenty of information on what we do on our website at www.inspiringbusiness.net and we are across all the socials. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspiring Business Podcast and my wish as always is to inspire and energize you so that you too can take action and make a difference in your and others' lives. 